Hello, and welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. Today's episode features Roby Simons, a professor of urban planning, among other areas of study, at Cleveland State University, and author of the upcoming book, No Parking Fine, Driverless Vehicles, Urban Parking, and Land Use, that is due out in February. Todd Northman, one of Tucker Ellis's attorneys, joins us as well. In this conversation, the three of us discuss an article from the Wall Street Journal detailing cul-de-sac Tempe, a 1,000-person development in Tempe, Arizona, where residents must agree to not have a personal vehicle if they would like to live there. We elaborate on the implications of such a bold proposition, why Tempe, Arizona made sense as the first location for this type of initiative, and where we might see similar communities spring up in the future. As always, you can contact us on Twitter at at underscore driverless or driverless at tuckerellis.com. Let's get rolling to today's episode of Driverless. Roby and Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Glad to be here. All right. So, guys, today I want to talk a little bit about an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal uh, the other day. And in this article, they're discussing what's called cul-de-sac Tempe, which is a community in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona, where they're actually banning cars. And by that, I mean uh, the people that sign the leases there are agreeing that they will not use a car. And basically, in place of parking spots, there will be more retail opportunities. There's also transit built into the community to get to places like a grocery store or Arizona State University, downtown Phoenix Airport, things like that. And obviously, uh, Roby, given your background in urban planning, and Todd, given the fact that you've been practicing and dealt with quite a few real estate transactions for you know t- two decades now, I felt like you guys would be some great guests to talk about this. So. First, I just want to start, uh, Roby, can you give us from an urban planning standpoint and just kind of from your experience, what, what do you make of this? What are your initial thoughts? Well, I think it's exciting that there are developers out there are willing to make a pretty big bet. That's a thousand acre project or so, rather a thousand units. And that's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Now, I think it's a good spot for it. A couple of reasons. One, um, Chandler, Arizona is right next to Tempe, and that's where the Waymo is doing a lot of their testing, their driverless vehicles. So I think there's already a taste for considering alternative transit modes down there. Uh, the other thing is that you've got uh, Arizona State University right nearby, and that's a great anchor uh, and demand generator for young people and their ability to get around without vehicles. A lot of students don't need vehicles. They uh, get everything they need uh, with bicycles or uh, skateboards or other forms of uh, locomotion. And Todd, what about you? What jumps out to you like whenever you're initially reviewing this? Um, you know, what really jumped out at me, and I agree absolutely with everything Roby said, this is exciting. And the fact that it's in Tempe is very significant. You know, besides the fact that you've got the university there, the population, the median age is below 30. It's already demographically set up. The Phoenix metropolitan area is growing like gangbusters, so it's really set up to succeed. But what strikes me here is the folks behind this development. They started Open Door, which is an interesting company that allows you to sell your house online, some other interesting features. And they've raised their cash not from the traditional funders of apartment buildings, multifamily housing, that sort of thing, but instead from venture capital. They raised $10 million 
for this project from traditional VC, including Wide Combinator, which is just fascinating. And it signals that this is that turn to a new economy where you've got new cash. They partnered in building here in Tempe with an experienced home builder in the Phoenix area who's terrific. I think they've done a very thoughtful job in selecting who they're going to partner with. But even more striking is who they are. And while they're third, fourth, fifth generation Arizonans, in fact, they live in San Francisco, but decided to do this development in Tempe because they thought demographically this was the best place to go. And they found with the Tempe City Council, a willing partner who was willing to consider waiving a bunch of the land use requirements that are typically in place. And Todd, you mentioned something that I found interesting and I kind of wanted to pivot in a different direction with it. You said the thing that's very interesting to you about this article is the people behind it, kind of the people behind this development and where they're getting the money and things like that. Uh, and you mentioned Open Door, and and I kind I agree. My initial thought was it's very interesting to see um, the people behind this this project and where they're coming from, and not just where they're getting their money, kind of as you alluded to, but, but what kind of insight they may have that's driving this. And it it's interesting to me that someone who is involved in real estate transactions, like a company like Open Door, who would have a lot of data on where people want to live, how they want to live, what's important to people in different areas throughout the country, or what's important when purchasing a property or when choosing to you know, rent or lease property, things like that, that they would be doing this. Because that to me signals that they think they have data that supports that there's a population out there that this community serves that isn't being served right now. And to that extent, I tend to agree with them for a lot of the reasons that Roby pointed out uh, and a lot of the reasons you point out demographically. But also, I think that it's important to note that they're getting this information, not just from other studies that are conducted or what they believe to be the case, but likely from real data informed by real purchasing decisions. And as we know, having people put their money where their mouth is, is an important indicator of their preferences and of the decisions consumers will make in the future. And so I thought it was very fascinating to see someone who would have kind of the inside track into knowledge about what the consumer is looking for in a place like Tempe, going out on a limb and starting something this unconventional. Um, do either of you kind of have thoughts on what that data might look like? Or Roby, I'm guessing you have a background in urban planning. You may have some insights as to what they were seeing that led them to believe this. Can you kind of offer us any uh, insight into that? Sure, well, they're looking at a demographic where 16-year-olds really aren't getting their driver's licenses day one after their birthday like they used to. I think the, the license getting rates are down by about 50% uh, from say 20 years ago. So it's really not a takeaway for kids like that. They've never owned cars. They're not really interested in cars. They're more interested in apps and getting around. And frankly, just getting around itself isn't that interesting anymore. People do a lot of uh, socializing online. They don't even really need to move around much. You just need a good base. Now you gotta get to school, probably have a job, but that other stuff, Getting around, you can use Ubers or you can just uh, do it on your phone. Uh, so the demographics are excellent. And there's really no takeaway. The other thing I want to bring into the mix is uh, on the uh, investment side, I'm curious if you, either of you think that there's a socially responsible investment element to this or if they're simply going for the profit motive. And I wouldn't uh, carry the way, but I think there, there might be some socially conscious investment going on here. It's a lot more green and uh, you have a chance to uh, – save a lot of money because you don't have to put in parking. You're probably freeing up 20% of your land 
uh, on the development site. You can put all sorts of cool new features and that should make the project a lot more attractive. So you said they have their market data. I don't think there's any market data for things like this. I think what we're going to be doing is getting survey data of give, asking people hypothetical questions as opposed to going into the market and seeing what's actually happened elsewhere with actual projects. So there's some speculation in terms of the value proposition of, of uh, certain amenities they'll be installing to replace the parking. And by the way, not to go too long, um, people will still be able to use cars. You can still get Ubers. The, as I read the, the analysis, there'll be a spot for vehicles to come on and take people away, just that you can't have your own personal car when you're living there. Sure. And I think that's right. I, I don't mean to suggest that they're banned from using cars, you know, when they leave the property. More so what I'm talking about is kind of they can't bring their own cars and there's not going to be on-site parking. And to your question of social responsibility, um, I think social responsibility is great from companies. And I think it's probably even better whenever there's also a uh, profitable angle to it. And to your point of being able to free spots up from parking, uh, I think that's true but I imagine that those spots will be reimagined in the form of retail or consumer oriented and consumer facing businesses, not just parks. Now, the fact that you can spin uh, those retail projects or those businesses or restaurants into an angle of we are being uh, socially responsible by you know, limiting emissions and things like that is obviously a win-win. But I'm sure that that was very carefully considered as to we're going to have a you know, population that because they're, we're limiting their mobility is also going to be more likely to be on site, to be located, uh, you know, in their dwelling and nearby. And what better uh, of a way to profit on an, an engagement like this than to offer services that other people would normally have to travel to, whether it be dry cleaning, restaurants, things like that, to a population that by deciding to lease there has actually made themselves, um, you know, kind of waiting for whatever you're going to give them. And I think there's some angle to this that that's got to be in the equation. So uh, what you're saying is that they're going to have a higher capture rate on the retail dollars of the residents there because they're subjecting themselves to make themselves almost a captive market by limiting their mobility, which is quite interesting. I think I agree with you. Yeah. And, well, and I think, oh, sorry, go for it. Uh, and just to jump in, I mean, I think there's absolutely both of those threads running through here. They are socially responsible. That's part of what's motivating them. But it's also a lifestyle choice, I think. And, you know, to go back to Zach's initial point, this is a development that's probably only going to be undertaken by people from the millennial generation because they just think differently about how one moves, but more importantly, what's important. And so one little nugget here is one of the factors they tout is that more than half the land area in this development is going to be covered by landscaping, public courtyards, greenery, which they say is an unheard of ratio for urban development. And I think that's right. And that's part of what excites me about this project is it's picking up on something we discussed on a podcast 11 months ago with Jay, Zach, and that's just how the built environment is going to look so much different and frankly better than it does now and a large chunk of that is the shared mobility and just fewer cars and being able to walk and to use scooters and move around having shorter distances less area dedicated to cars moving through it and so that's going to cause us to rethink how we do it so yes there's going to be closer 
retail, maybe a little more density, but I think the most fundamental change is going to be the greenery and just being able to walk to and from places and just having a, an area that's designed with the idea that we don't need to use a car. And that's kind of the fundamental difference, I think. They're building it right on the light rail line. So you can go to the uh, Arizona State, you can go downtown just by walking out your front door and crossing the street and going on the light rail. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah, let me be a little skeptical. Uh, a thousand units or a thousand uh, residents, I think it's a thousand units, but that's probably not enough to support a ton of retail. So the retail is going to be dependent on visits from people from the outside. So I'm curious how this project is going to link to the rest of the world. I see how it links to its residents, and that's really great. But, uh, for example, to have deliveries to these restaurants, uh, will the restaurants be in the periphery, the property, in the center? It's going to be the center. You've got to have those trucks coming in probably in the middle of the night to deliver and drop off and get out of there. And how will people that live, you know, five miles away who want to eat at that restaurant, how will they get there? They could ride the light rail, of course, but would they get there by the cars? Is there parking off-site? Will they just be parking lots on the edge for those people? So it's not, uh, I don't think that the place is, is big enough to have critical mass work and survive solely on the residents, uh, you know, incomes and, and expenditures. It's going to have to be relying on the outside. So that may affect the urban form. You know, you'd want to have this thing created where you have the commercial stuff at the center of this community, but that's going to mean it, it's going to be harder for uh, the uh, rest of the world to reach it. Right. And I think you've hit upon a couple really interesting themes there, Roby, because you're right, they're going to have to be conscious of that. We, I think we've all been part of ambitious urban development that failed because there just wasn't enough traffic, foot traffic or, you know, retail customers who could readily access it. And that's, you know, we can see where your professional eye comes in here because I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, it calls to mind our own building here that we're sitting in today where we're kind of on the bleeding edge of downtown. And my concern when we moved here six years ago was, wow, who's going to visit this? And we see that some in the restaurants that are here because we're on the end of downtown. They've had some tough goes and we've seen a lot of turnover. So that's interesting. But to your point about the scale, that's for sure something that's on the mind of these developers because they've already started thinking about their next projects and they're going to be much larger in part to respond to that. They're looking at cities like Denver, Dallas, Raleigh area. And what they're targeting is a, you know, a young demographic, similar to what we're seeing in Tempe, but also something that's much larger in terms of acreage. So they'll have more support there. So when I heard that this project go is, was going in Arizona, I thought it might go for the empty nest or elderly market. I totally get why it's going millennial, I think, for the reasons stated that's a great market niche, but I wonder why you couldn't do this for a retirement kind of a community. People don't really need cars. They're gonna need other ways to get around. There could be other forms of transportation and uh, people may not, you know, maybe really totally safe having older people drive so I think that's another possible niche for them. It's certainly the fat part of the demographic, and those people uh, are used to moving to retirement communities. And, you know, it's compatible with a lot of green space, and those people tend to have a lot of money. So why not make that another market niche? Older people, very, you know, empty nesters, slow go. Sold. I'm ready to invest, Roby, if you want to lead that up. Yeah, and I think another uh, key point about, you know, going for that type of a demographic, too, would be 
when we're discussing capture rates and things like that, um, you know, millennials, and again, speaking as the only millennial on the podcast, uh, <laughs> tend to be just twist little, that knife, Zach. <laughs> yeah, uh, just just throwing that out there. Uh, millennials tend to crave kind of uh, different experiences, right? Where the generation that loves to have our avocado toast in different locations every day or drink our nitro infused coffee, things like that. Um, with the retirement community, you probably don't have that much. You, you may have, um, you know, uh, couples or individuals who are okay with going to the same three restaurants every single week. And to that point, those three restaurants are all on site and owned by the developer even better. So yeah, I do think that makes a lot of sense, Roby. But uh, I'd like to just kind of shift the conversation a little bit and talk about, you know, we all mentioned throughout uh, our conversation so far why it worked in Tempe. Uh, and, you know, that goes to the demographic. It goes, I think the climate has a lot to do with it too, right? It's a lot easier to say, we're going to walk around more. We're going to use things like um, scooters and micromobility concepts because, hey, it's Tempe. We don't have that much precipitation. I think it'd be harder to um, develop something like that in a climate like Cleveland or Detroit or Chicago or New York, things like that. Um, but, you know, in kind of thinking this through, what do you guys think uh, is the biggest hurdle to seeing these developments elsewhere? Do you think it is just that population of young millennials who are willing to kind of live in a, in a situation like this? Do you think it's the climate? Do you think it's, um, I mean, Roby, you made the great uh, observation that this happens to be really close to what Way where Waymo is testing uh, some of their autonomous vehicles. And so that technology is kind of pervasive in the scene in Tempe. So what do you guys think is kind of the key element that we can take away is this can apply to other places outside of Tempe. And if you want to pontificate on where that might be, I'm happy to hear it. Todd, sounds like you already know of some places where this concept is looking, but I'd be really curious to just see what can we extrapolate from this and apply to other locations. And maybe I'll start that conversation because I think the number one criteria, and this goes to the points you were making about the millennial generation, is it's going to take a, a, a concentration of people who are willing to forego personal automobile ownership because it really isn't feasible here. And so I think if we look at other locations, that's really going to be the driving factor in figuring out where you want to go. Ideally, you'd have something like this in um, you know, an urban environment, maybe heavily populated, except you need the green space to build it out to repurpose it. I grew up in sort of central Oregon in the mid-60s, and the city of Eugene did something like this, believe it or not, not with the density of population, but they closed two cars all of downtown. And so I, maybe that's part of why this so excites me, because it vibes with what I remember, which is areas where they closed down the roads and you were just able to walk around and not just a single street, but the entire downtown core. And that works where you've got good weather, as you pointed out, so you can scooter and you'd naturally want to. I think it's interesting. They've done it in Tempe, where we'll see in July and August whether it's really comfortable outside, but I think it's going to be a lot more comfortable in downtown Tempe if you're looking with grass and not having so much pavement absorbing and then releasing heat. So that's a possibility here as well as to why you do it. But I am thinking that the Raleigh area that they've targeted may be just about perfect, maybe a little muggy, but you know, with that younger demographic, relatively good weather, 
relatively open space. You'll note of all the different areas I noticed with Dallas and Denver being the other two that they've announced they're considering as possibilities, they've all got, frankly, fairly lax urban planning right now. So they've got a lot of room to improve over what they could have with a development like this cul-de-sac Tempe. Well, look, there's a number of ways we could go with this. Number one, most communities now are ditching parking minimums. So I don't think you're going to have much pushback from municipalities about getting rid of parking requirements. It's going down, down, down. And the last couple of years is pretty much out the window. Everybody gets that part of it. Having said that, uh, I would agree that a, a, a moderate climate, and I think Raleigh, parts of Florida, Denver, those kinds of areas are ideal. They've got a young demographic. This project, though, is going to be watched very carefully to see if it succeeds or not. Developers are always more interested in doing deals when they've been tried and been successful elsewhere. So this is a model. The model is acknowledged to be just kind of middle to luxury rental, college-oriented, millennial-oriented. So I'm not sure you're going to get anybody willing to jump where you have condos in this kind of environment. That's going to be a big step. It's easy to imagine somebody coming here, they're going to college for four years, they live in a dorm for a year, then they live here one or two years, and they go away. That's fine. So I think you're going to probably be uh, attacking this uh, millennial niche for and young young adult niche for quite a while. I think when you see it mature, you're going to see it uh, where people will be older and they'll be buying as opposed to renting. Now, where are we going to do this? I think the big issue is going to be land assembly because you've got to have critical mass here. This project is, I'm almost certain it's too small to be self-sustaining. I haven't seen the land use mix, but if you've got a thousand units, that's good for maybe a hundred thousand square feet of retail, 200,000 max. And some of that would probably be spent off site. So I'm not sure, you know, what the, what the unit mix is there. Um, but you probably need to have more retail than that. And depending on the demographic of these people, it could be a lot less than that because they may not be buying across the spectrum if their kids are buying lattes and coffees and stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, uh, hardware at home. So land assembly is key. You want to be near demand generators like universities. And I think places that have uh, really developed public transportation systems would be a, a good place to have these. But I think those same places are going to have a very, very expensive land assembly proposition. I don't think we're going to see the projects there for a while. I think it's those middle markets that have tempered climates near universities. That'll be the, the next jumping points off for these projects. Right. The only point I'd want to emphasize here, or maybe it's even just make it a question for you, Roby, because what struck me that works so well here in Tempe, where they've chosen to site it, is they've got a new light rail line that runs right in front of this development. And I don't think that is, should be lost on us because that makes work living here and working downtown, or even if you're a student getting to and from Arizona State, that makes that very attractive to, as you know, I've mentioned on the podcast a couple of different times, I live at the end of the train line. It's my favorite part of where I live. And so that's, again, part of why I'm excited about cul-de-sac Tempe in particular is because it's on that train line. And I think you make a good point about the retail density and the land assemblage. And so that's where, you know, I commend both the cul-de-sac organization, but also their local partner, um, who, you know, Sunbelt Holdings, if you Google them, they've got an interesting biography, but they're certainly one of the leading developers in that region. They have a history of focusing on sustainable development. 
They do a really nice job. And so I think it's forethoughtful for them to jump in. But to your point, this may not succeed. We'll see. It may be that, you know, like a lot of venture capital, this may be something where we've got some seed money planted. There are a couple of developments that are terrific, but they just don't make economic sense. This is going to be a test ground. You know, that's a good point, Todd. But I, I think one of the other things that we need to take away from this is in a lot of ways for these micromobility companies and for autonomous vehicles and people like us who are excited about all of that, this kind of already is a success. The idea that they were able to raise this money, that they're going forward with this project, that in and of itself, I think, is something we wouldn't have thought was possible, maybe even as recently as five years ago, uh, especially on this timeline. So I think both of you are right to be a little skeptical and kind of uh, let's not hold our breath. Um, I, I think it still said something that we're at a point in uh, the technological pursuit of these different kinds of technologies and mobility in general that we can kind of even envision this and get enough, as you point out, Todd, really smart people with a lot of money and a good track record to kind of get behind this. So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Look, I don't think we're gonna have trouble making this project a success. I think that all you need really is a five or 10% market capture rate of the, of the target market in this area. And I'm sure that many or more would be willing to live without a car, especially if you've got the light rail and everything you need pretty much close at hand. So they don't have to be marketing to everybody to be successful, they just need to fill their units. So as long as they're relatively small, you know, single digits in terms of the overall size of their market, I think they have a good shot, assuming their price points are good. But I think that the clever use of the land, especially its green features, and in, including the vibrancy and the location, those are going to be all positives. I think the project is a very good shot at success. Yeah, and I think one of the things you mentioned earlier, Roby, kind of shows you where we're headed, right? You, you were talking about how the uh, amount of driver's license is going down and people aren't as much, you know, the immediacy of getting your driver's license isn't really there with younger generations. And what that suggests to me is that the population for which this type of a project is attractive is growing by the day. Because while it may be difficult for someone uh, like myself, who was you know at the BMV the day that I could get my driver's license and I have a car and things like that, maybe hard for me to imagine giving up that car. It's a lot more attractive of a proposition if I've never really owned a car, or if I've never really relied on a car. And if that population continues to grow at the rates we're seeing, you're going to have more and more people to which this isn't even a novelty. This is actually more convenient than they would otherwise have it, right? Because right now they're relying on ride sharing, they're relying on public transportation, things like that, without any of the benefits that a project like this offers as far as green space or potential retail, things like that. So it is going to be interesting that, you know, while this may be a success, we may see that this kind of an idea is even more attractive a decade down the road or, or you know, further as more and more people kind of graduate to homeownership and leasing and renting on their own who have never really relied upon having their own personal vehicle. And so I think that we're going to see more and more projects like this spring up. And I imagine that a lot of them will be successful if they're as carefully thought out as this one appears to have been. Well, whoa, whoa and slow down there a little bit, Zach. I think once you start having kids and putting that in the mix, uh, the, that population is going to need to have a vehicle around. It just becomes a lot more demanding to have at those peak times, regular peak times, probably once a day or more where you need to have control and be able to pack everybody up in the car. So I think you're really looking at people that don't have children as the target market. And that's why I think elderly might be a good target market. I'm certainly thinking you can get uh, yuppies, young urban professionals that are single, they're out of school, 
maybe they're even late 20s, early 30s, maybe not even millennials anymore, uh, that are working downtown, that they still might be attracted to this. But once you start having kids and having to schlep around uh, soccer stuff and all the other things or certain, you know, jobs, construction workers, people that keep tools in their cars or use their cars for mobile office, they're going to need vehicles. So it's really not for everybody. But I think that uh, the rental market, as opposed to the buying market, has a very good fit with this concept. Sure. And I definitely don't mean to suggest this is for everyone, but I do think the population that it is for is growing by the day. And you're even seeing that with the decline in birth rate and a decline in people deciding to have children, things like that. So I would say that, well, yes, this is certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. The demographic they're going after is actually growing. And to your point of, you know, it kind of fits on the back end, too, once you're done with kids, then what you're kind of saying is that the slice of people it doesn't apply to is getting smaller and smaller as kind of the demographics of our country in general shift. And so I do think this is an exciting proposition, but I think you're right to point out that there's some people, this is just kind of a non-starter. And, you know, that's the case with townhomes. That's the case with, uh, you know, different housing options that are available now. But it's important to look at something like this and understand, like, if the, if the demographics continue to shift in the way that we're starting to see them, this is just becomes a more and more attractive proposition and, and good for cul-de-sac Tempe for being on the you know, cutting edge of that. Right. But if you go out 10 or 20 years and there's, you know, greater acceptance of driverless vehicles and we really have severed owning your own car and being independent, which is what right. the, the young people, the 16 year olds, it's not a takeaway for them. They've never had it. So they're not giving anything up. But for the rest of us have had cars if we can jump over to being independent by being able to use rideshare services as opposed to uh, owning our own vehicle, then uh, and it's cheaper that way, then that would be great. Right now, rideshare is the main alternative, and it's two fifty a mile, and running your own vehicle is between eighty cents and a dollar fifty a mile. And uh, if you had driverless vehicles, a single ride might be fifty cents a mile, and if you ride with strangers, twenty cents a mile. So. Just like they're starting in Tempe, where in Chandler and Southeast Phoenix, they're already testing driverless vehicle. It's a DV positive ethic there. They're used to it. It's not frightening. Uh, when everybody in the country has some familiarity with that, it's going to be a lot easier for people to separate their vehicle from being independent. And that's when you can go to the other more sub-markets. Right. But isn't that suggesting that this kind of a proposition gets more and more attractive as more and more people become comfortable with autonomous vehicles? Or did I miss something? No, no, I totally agree. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. Right. It's not no, right I, now. I agree. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think that as we become more comfortable with autonomous vehicles, something like this becomes more attractive as well, because then it's, I'm not even giving up, you know, my personal vehicle and, you know, whatever. I'm just kind of getting additional green space, better planning, things like that, maybe more amenities. Um, and to your point, you know, I, I no longer, it's, it actually becomes economically unreasonable for me to have a personal vehicle. Uh, as opposed to living in a community like this that kind of fosters that no personal vehicle ownership mentality. So I'm really excited about this. But uh, before we get out of here, I kind of want to give you guys a chance to kind of throw closing thoughts. Or is there anything we haven't covered? Things like that? Just one thing. I think that uh, if you look at the location and housing services line item together, in other words, what are you spending on transportation and what are you spending on living? If you can reduce people's transportation costs by giving them cheap alternatives, then they'll be more likely to spend more for the real estate. In other words, they'll spend more for the location and real estate's all about location, location, location. 
and it's good for the environment. It's good for the people that live there. It's probably good for the developers as well. Sure. That makes a ton of sense. So you're basically saying that the more convenience you offer and kind of the lower you take, what you, you reduce one cost, you can kind of increase the other. And so you're saying a proposition like this may be able to actually increase rent if they're able to provide, um, you know, a reduction in charges in other places. Exactly. No, that's a good insight. What about you, Todd? Closing thoughts? My only closing thought is how excited I am to see this go. And I like Roby's idea that I'm going to retire here and I just have to convince my wife that we're ready to forego car ownership and home ownership. So I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be terrific. Maybe we'll do a remote podcast once this opens up from Tempe. That sounds very exciting, although I think uh, Tucker else would be a little disappointed to lose you this early on, Todd. So maybe give it a little bit of time. And to Roby's point, let's make sure it catches on before you leave us. Thank you both for coming on. Roby, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're very busy. And Todd, as always, thanks for jumping on the podcast with us.